we have great news this morning. Alex just became an aunt. <laughs> we're not sure if Alex is an aunt or a common law aunt because we're not married, but my sister just had a baby, like literally four hours ago. He's fresh. We FaceTimed. He's a fresh baby. You okay over there? Something's up with my cord. It's over your... Okay. Okay. I think that's what the baby said too when he first... <laughs> Guys, something's exited. up with my... There's something... I'm tethered. Can we please... It's all fixed. I'm good now. Take care of that. Yeah. So that's exciting. I mean, childbirth is horrifying, but... How does it feel? Um, good. Did I feel like I'm going to be the fun aunt. Did you just ask yourself a question and answer that question? Yeah, I did. Because you weren't going to ask it. <laughs> the fun. What does being a fun aunt mean? Giving the kid whatever it wants. Yeah. Ice cream, chocolate, <laughs> to stay up late. Although I, I can't imagine us taking care of him by ourselves. I don't know. Maybe at some point. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like the idea that. He could come visit for like a month in the summer. No, I mean, I don't think we'll see. We're gonna go that far. That's like, that's the stuff you read about in books. I don't know. I we don't went, think it actually happens in real life. We went and visited my aunt and uncle in Colorado for like three weeks one summer. We worked at a ranch. It was really fun. There was a baby buffalo there. Hmm. His name is Norman, which is a city slickers reference. What I'm one hundred percent sure you have no idea what I'm talking about. City slickers, the baby cow Norman. No. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not a surprise. Honestly, like our generation probably not going to know that reference anyways, but I'm an old soul. Um. Okay. Yeah. Episode 61. Okay. I'm going to start this off with a story that's not my story, but I'm going to tell it. Okay. It's my mom's story. She t told us the other day. So they recently moved out of their house of like 30 years, my childhood home into a condo, but this condo is like pretty nice. Um, they still had to get rid of a lot of things. And so, um, some of the things they brought with them to the new condo, like artwork, wondering like if it's, if it fits, we'll put it up. If it doesn't, we'll sell it. So there was some artwork and some smaller pieces of furniture that they were still selling. So my mom gets on Facebook marketplace and she's selling, was it like four of those l tiny little paintings? They're about like five by five inches, six yeah, by like six. In including the frame. Including They're the really frame. Small. Yeah, but mm -hmm. there's like a variety of them. And I guess, unbeknownst to me, um, vintage artwork is kind of a thing. Making a resurgence. Yeah. And so they, they went up on fa her Facebook marketplace and like, I guess there were a lot of inquiries and so she had one lady who was really interested and like ended up coming over after like a period of time where she kept having to reschedule and finally came over and was looking at these little pieces of art and was like, oh, they're just, they're so beautiful. They're just so beautiful. And I guess they had agreed upon a price before she showed up, but wanted to check them out before she purchased them. So, she, oh, they're so cute. I love this one and going on and on. And then she goes, okay, well, I'm just going to go out to the car to get my e-transfer. 
And my mom, Brenda, was like, what? You're e e-transfer in the car, isn't it? It's like on your phone. And but for like Americans listening where e-transfer is not a thing, it's essentially like a, it's like a bank to bank. It's like PayPal. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was like, but uh, okay. And kind of like the woman left. And then a minute later, my mom gets a text message. And it's the same woman who went out to her car saying, uh, that's going to, that's going to be as, as cute as they are. And I love them so much. I, that's going to be a no for me. They're a little smaller than I expected. <laughs> like, just say that she could, she didn't have the balls to tell my mom in person that she wasn't interested. That's honestly like, I mean, I'm sorry that your mom had to experience that, but welcome to 2022 like this is that's just the way people behave it's so weird it's like wow ghosting is a way of life although i guess that's that's like worse than ghosting. ghosting yeah that's just like it wow. would have been better if she had just drove off i mean like why if you don't want them why not just leave and like i guess because with facebook marketplace you can like see the person yeah meanwhile we sold our like some wishbone chairs that we had at our dining table uh, maybe what, like a month ago? Cause we replaced our dining room chairs and wishbone chairs are like super in now. They were easy to sell. And this, this woman came over to pick them up and they were all lined up by the front door. And she's like, Oh, I love them. I'm going to try to like paint them. Um, cause they were like, the frame is white. And then, so Ivy kind of wanders up cause she's like, Hey, what are you doing with my chairs? And she was like, Oh my goodness, what a beautiful cat. And I was like, Shh, like, don't, that stuff goes to her head. Um, but just going on about, you know, we have one that looks kind of like her, but a little bit younger. Um, and anyways, so she takes the chairs and um, later that night I get a Facebook message from her and it was a picture of the chairs and her little kitty was like balled up in one. Cause I was saying how Ivy is, she's that she loves sitting in those chairs. And she's like, our, I think our little kitty smells your kitty. She loves these chairs already. And it was this little like, baby Siamese cat just like in a little ball in one of the chairs so yeah definitely different Facebook marketplace yeah. experience <laughs> it's it's funny it almost made me feel better about myself knowing that that isn't that doesn't just happen to me yeah and not even on Facebook I'm talking about my job and if you're listening and you've done this or you you're thinking of doing this I'm gonna tell you right now don't be a stand-up person be just be honest. Trust me, as hard as that might be for everybody, it's better than being like, um, like either ghosting or just lying. Sometimes I have clients who I'm talking to three times a week will email Meredith and be like, I think I'm going to cancel my membership. I'm like, what? <laughs> or we get that with, with our other, I think, I think I'm going to cancel my membership with Lindsay. Okay. Um, did you tell her that? It's, well, then we so talked to Lindsay and we're like, hey, did you know so-and-so is canceling? She's like, no, I've been having a no like normal conversation with them for the entire week. It's so weird. I just People like so what weird. is so hard about being an honest, upfront person. I don't think it's a lack it's, of honesty. It's like people are so afraid of confrontation. And yet, and yet there are people on, on texting and and social media and Facebook who are just so brutally honest because they can hide behind a screen. Like mm -hmm. how come that doesn't apply to like texting with somebody being like, it's easier, it's easier to break up with someone over text. Yeah. It's, we're not asking you to like call us up or come to our house, be face to face and be like, yeah, I don't need you as a nutrition coach anymore. 
but like over text it's not that hard you just type it up and click send yeah i don't know that really grinds my gears at like i've had to i've had to 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 end relationships and is and it is awful but do i do it yes because it's the right thing to do i mean you try to end ours like every few weeks not anymore (laughs) (laughs) early on yeah Yeah. (laughs) i was scared of commitment scared of the uh, scared of how much you love me yeah i think that was it the vulnerability because like you don't want to every day you're getting farther into this relationship what if it ends and the fact of the matter is like a lot of relationships end yeah so i'm like why take the risk You can just stay safe and solo. And Better to lonely. love and have lost than to never have loved at all. Is that your motto? Because that's a, like the opposite <laughs> of what you just said. No, better, I was saying whoever better, came up with that quote is an idiot. Better to never love at all than love and have lost. There you go. That's the Alex Parker rendition of that. Yeah, it's so bizarre. People are so odd with the way that they... I, I don't... Think that, I don't... You know what? I'm not in the business of telling people what to do, but I will tell you right now. Be upfront. Please... For my sake, for other human beings' sake. There's, um, I, what's bizarre is some people will act like that, like straight up ghost, not respond, this and this. And then like, eventually they will quit and then they come back. Like I've had someone come back a few times and like, they just did it again where it's like, all right. And actually I was the one to be like, I haven't, I haven't heard back from you. So I'm just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cancel your membership. And I like, if they decide to come back, the answer is going to be a no. And also none of my coaches are going to work with you because you're the worst. And I'm it, it really is hurtful to get that. Yeah. Like to get like, oh, hi, hi, Meredith. Um, Can you please cancel my membership with Alex? I'm like, oh. did I do something wrong? Sometimes like- I will go ahead and, and, and text that person back and be like, hey, so what I don't understand is like why you, you didn't feel it was possible to just tell me this over text. Mm-hmm. And then of course they don't respond. The interesting thing like, too. Like it would, and it's not in a mean way. It's like, I, is there something I did? Yeah. Well, it's not even like communication comes from me at the beginning. Anyways, like the in- client intake runs through Alex. He runs through you. I don't like, I am not involved in that process. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how you got my email. I mean, <laughs> not like it's hard to figure out what it would be, yeah. but yeah, it's so weird. I that that only has happened a couple times with, us but mm-hmm. it does happen with our coaches sometimes too and it's like yeah what i do usually is say please let your coach know because i do think that uh the coaches deserve that to be told otherwise it just and messes it, with their head it so. allows you as a coach to make sure the person is moving forward in a in an appropriate way like sometimes i worry if someone's on a deficit and they're just like they ghost you you're like gee i hope that person like knows that they're those aren't the macros that they should be on indefinitely. Yeah. So even if your final words to that person is like, you should not be on these macros indefinitely, please consider increasing in this time yeah. frame. Like at least you don't leave them out in the cold on, you know, a, an indefinite calorie <laughs> yeah. deficit. Yeah. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest. I'm, yeah, there's a good story. It's just, it's funny, but it's also like, it's so, it's so just like the way that people are th- these days with, we also get sometimes people will be like i want to sign up and so we get them all signed up set a start date and then they don't fill out the intake form they don't pay and then it's like they've changed their mind but they didn't feel like it was important to let you know that (laughs) which it's like i don't know maybe i go above and beyond to like keep people informed but i would probably say yeah i'm i'm actually gonna go with somebody else 
mm-hmm. but thank you for your time. Yeah. It's so easy to do that. It takes like 10 seconds. Yeah. I've had something come up and I'm not able to commit to this right now, but. Or sometimes after, oh, this is my last complaint here. Sometimes, and really these are for future, future members <laughs> slash just human beings. Um, sometimes you get like, cause we do those one-time plans and one-time plans are tricky because you're not having ongoing contact with the, the person. And so we do yeah. ask, please check in after 30 days. And there, there'll be times where people will check in after 30 days and maybe ask a couple of questions and, and they'll say, you know, my progress hasn't been what I would thought. Like, can you, you know, give me some advice? And you're like, and so I'll, I'll ask like a follow-up question, like, Hey, could you please, did you take photos? Can you send those? Or like, how was your compliance? What, what is your body weight now? And it's like, then they don't respond back. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh, if only I had known that you weren't going to respond back to this email, I wouldn't have taken the time to read your email in the first place. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> overall people are decent. Anything else you'd like to The majority of people morning? are decent. They are, yeah, 95%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 5% that aren't, though, are really <laughs> something. <laughs> really? That's mm. going to be a no for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you. So weird. I would have gotten in the car, chased her down and been like, say it to my face. Say it to my face. You owe me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, very dramatic. So how did you end up in jail? (laughs) She said she didn't want my paintings. (laughs) No, no, no. But she did it and it wasn't to my face. She texted me. Yeah. It sounds silly when you say it out loud, but it it gets to you. It's almost like a like mind game. I've never been a fan of mind games. No. No, and a lot of it does feel very petty, and it's not a sing- singular petty incident that does it. It's the culmination of petty incidents. And I just feel like yeah, we get a lot of we get a lot of petty in our lives. So, even mild petty can set us off. Me anyways. Oh, I am so set off by mild petty. <laughs> well, it's a, it's the, it's the life I live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's move it's on. It's more just a life of confusion that I live. <laughs> what? C- generally what? confused by other actions. What? What? <laughs> Why would they? I don't, what the, what were they thinking? I know. How does someone think? How did I say those things a it, lot? It, a lot of half words and sentences. Have you ever had to break up with somebody? Yeah, I hate it. I mean, it, like it's I, so bad. It's so brutal. Yeah. I mean, I got. I had to break up with a marriage. Yeah. Like, did you do it in person? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. I got broken up with once over text message. Did you earn that? It was horrible. Oh, yeah. Um, And then I was like, I would like to meet you in person to like discuss this. Because they were like, no. No, they did. Okay. And it was fine. It was better. But I'm like, dude, you can't text text me that. And it'd be okay. And then I did break up with somebody else, but it was in person. Yeah. I think I broke up with most people in person. Not that I've had a lot of breakups, but like. Except for like the tender things, which aren't really breakups. They're just like, uh, we're not going to continue this. Yeah. And I usually was pretty upfront on Tinder. I, w- I will say that. Hmm. I don't think I ver- ghosted very many people. At least definitely not somebody I like ended up meeting up with. Yeah. 
Anyways. Um, I think you have some news. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm considering changing sports bra, bra brands and like re- replacing a lot of the ones that I have. So I wear a like combination of Lululemon and Reebok, but they're all really old. Some of them just like they don't stink hanging in the closet but it's like as soon as you sweat in them even for a minute it's like what what is that so um i'm gonna i think get a no noble one and test that one out i like the way they look so we'll see if they actually are any good and then maybe some shorts yeah when Which, was, i haven't bought a new sports bra in i mean partially because we were getting a lot from reebok mm-hmm. but i haven't purchased one in years i know i haven't either it's it's legitimately some of the lulu bras i have are like five or six years old yeah i have reebok bras that i look back in my like 2015 regionals photos that i still have and yeah. wear. when you have a good one like it's hard but to there are like the new bras are much tighter so if i'm like i ever have a day where i'm like bloated those oh, bras yeah. can't go on. It's like, did this shrink? Yeah, literally, like, so that's they when I can't use, go on. That's when I use my other older bras yeah. for those days yeah. that are a little bit. Or, like, my wear-around bras. It's like my running bras versus my wear-around bras. Yeah. Very different. Totally different arsenal. Yeah. Um, speaking of bras, when was the last time you wore, like, a real bra? Like, the one that, like, clasps in the oh. back. <laughs> I'm actually just thinking, I don't actually think I have one in the claw. I don't actually think I own one anymore. I think the last time I wore a real bra, actually, and I don't know if this qualifies as a real bra, <laughs> was, um, you know, like the sticky bras, like the sticky cups that you wear with like backless dresses and where you can't have straps. That was the last time I wore something other than a sports bra. Same. Yeah. And it was in... Uh, april or may of 2019 it was it was in north carolina yeah. we were there for that wedding and it but was then so hot also didn't you end up not wearing it well, yeah because it wasn't even <laughs> it was like it wasn't working because it was i was sweating too much so you're like and i had a sticky bra too and I, then we got there and it was super hot and we were both wearing like black they were like kind of black i think we both had kind of black jumpers or yeah. was yours yours was like a long jumper yeah mine was like shorts jumper yes and i ended up wearing a sticky bra and i'm sitting there sweating like thinking how much like (laughs) how much sweat is it gonna take for this thing to just peel right off just to like fall off and and then meredith didn't even end up getting out of the hotel with hers on no so she was like super uncomfortable i don't usually like not not that it really matters because i don't have large breasts but (gasps) I was like, I don't usually not wear a bra. And so it's a weird feeling when you're like out in public and you're in like this thing with like, that's kind of low cut and you don't have a bra on. I'm like, what if it like, <laughs> you know, and there's just your like boob there for everybody to you see. You were like, I think for the first hour that you walked out of the hotel, you were just like, didn't like kind of moved robotically. Because you're like, do, do people, are people just going to look at me and be like, go, she is not wearing a bra. That woman is not wearing a bra. You can tell she is not wearing a bra. Like, I know that's not what, but in my head, that's like what happened. But like, also, why does it matter if I'm wearing a bra? So let me ask you this. Do you remember anything about the wedding? 
Uh, or were you too distracted? I was too distracted by my acute, my acute awareness of um, my freedom of my boobies. But I do like when you take like the worst part about sticky bras is like you wear them because I did have it on for like, you know, when we were getting ready and then I took it off. But it's not the first time I've worn one. The worst part is when you go to like take it off at the end of the day and like, you know, you're kind of like pulling it and it's but it's definitely super stuck and it's just like and like that's the sound it makes. And also you have this like uber awkward vantage because you're like looking down at yourself while you're doing this and so it's like pulling your boobs with the bra and it's like what shape is that (laughs) i've never seen my boobs do that yeah i can relate you know i mean not like they do a lot they're very small but when they get pulled in a direction it's like it felt very like there's something about mary you remember that that movie (laughs) yeah it's like that these are things that the the guys listen if if guys even listen to this podcast i think it's important for them to know about these things yeah like you don't have to put a sticky thing on your junk no and then pull it off um and then also yeah real a real bra i think i do have some from when i used to work because i did wear them i remember when you and they looked weird i know they looked weird (laughs) like that is not it it's like also i don't know it's like the way that they fit, like some of the, the clothing goes in the bra as well. I know. So then you have like a nice shirt on, but like it's tucked into the top <laughs> of your bra. But it's kind of like, you know, when hockey players' jerseys get tucked into the back of their shorts. Yeah. That's what happens to me with a but bra. But I guess that's also kind of why you're supposed to wear like a slip. Oh, okay. Like one of those undergarments. Like in the olden days. Yeah. Because then your upper, your top garment stays on mm-hmm. top and your slip is what? Yeah. Gets bunched. The reason why I was thinking about this is the other day I was running and my heart rate monitor was unclipped, which was weird. Like it randomly unclipped. Yeah. And I was thinking of that. It was a very similar feeling to when like your bra becomes unclipped. Yeah. You know, we've actually talked about bra mishaps a few times on this podcast. So oh. I'll just add this one to the list. Okay. Remember the sports bra yeah. debacle? Yeah. Like that. But we'll keep you posted on the noble bras. Yeah. I'm going to get one to start and see how it goes. Um, Anyways, what we wanted to discuss on this podcast was probably the the number one thing we talk to people about, like client-wise. It's like the thing that we work hardest with folks on. And it's it's not macros. It's not meal timing, chrono nutrition. Um, That's a word I learned yesterday. It's not specific quality drum roll what is it oh it's good you're clapping that's okay protein it is it's the number one thing that we work um with people on i like rarely ever get a client who like nails protein right out of the gate it's it's the one where if you're not paying close attention to what you're eating you're probably not eating very much of it that's just like the dietary pattern for most most people um and it's also like of all of the macros probably the most important for people who are either exercising on a regular basis or um getting older yeah it's interesting because it's difficult because protein is the most important 
yet it is the least convenient and probably for most people the least tasty least enjoyable macro to eat it's literally like usually it's like it's hard it's difficult to eat it requires a lot of chewing it's difficult to like have available because most of it requires either prepping like cooking and then also refrigeration so it's hard to get in like convenience settings one of the one of the least my least favorite questions which and it's a very valid question is i need some like quick high protein snacks Mm -hmm. and i'm like that does not exist it really it's difficult unless you're going like the processed food route unless you're going with like protein bars or like those quest potato chips which are horrendous protein bars and like protein powder not the worst in a pinch i like i would go for protein powder before protein bars mm-hmm, because like, you're not getting all that extra crap yeah the bars just are full of shit usually um but when you look at so the um the standard western diet so the way that most americans and canadians eat if they're eating in uh an uncontrolled fashion what do you think the macronutrient breakdown for that diet is protein. Am I hot? Just say it and then I'll correct you. 20% protein, 40 and 40. That's pretty close. So this, the standard, uh, let's see here. The standard Western diet, typical American diet in 2006. So this has probably changed a little bit since then. Um, what is 50% of calories from carbohydrates, mm-hmm. 15% from protein, and 35% from fat. That was pretty close. Yeah. I um, would have expected fat to be higher for some reason. The If you had to guess like the average, the average calorie intake uh, for Americans, Canadians, standard Western diet followers per day, how many calories do you think per day um well the recommended is like 2000 right 20 1600 to to 2000 for most for is recommended for women 2000 to 2600 for most men. given that most people are obese so am i doing women and men separately this is an average of both okay so let's just say because of the obesity epidemic i'm gonna go ahead and say that both men and women are higher so let's say 22 for female and 28 so probably 24 25 you think 24 2500 calories per day is the average intake maybe a little higher 27 how about 3680 you know what wow they're wow that's the average that's actually surprising Re- but it also isn't but it still is yeah that's a lot of food and that's the average which means there are people above that yeah and not that many people exercise. I know. I think it's been estimated that only like 10% of the population exercises on a regular basis. Wow, um, worse than I thought. Yeah. So it's like, then you look at overall eating patterns. So it says a review of eating habits in the U.S. in 2004 found that about 75% of restaurant meals came from fast food restaurants. That's not surprising at all. Yep. Um, between 1970 and 2008, the per capita consumption of calories increased by nearly one quarter in the united states and about 10 percent of all calories came from high fructose corn syrup that's really interesting 
and then it goes on to to highlight like differences and what's the source just so for our listeners um let's see that source is from tom philpot april 5th 2011 the name of the review is the american diet in one chart with lots of fats and sugar wow (laughs) um and then yeah it goes on to um talk about the like diet pattern with saturated fats specifically compared to like poly and monounsaturated fats saturated fat consumption is much higher than recommended which i don't think is a surprise to anyone um and then what's interesting is you see the like the consumption of uh beef has fallen dramatically since around 1970 while the consumption of chicken has been increasing so now chicken is the number one consumed protein in the u.s beef is number two pork is number three fish and shellfish is way down at the bottom number four so huh pretty interesting i mean we could it would probably be pretty easy to to make um conclusions based on just what we know it would be interesting to like do a post or something comparing those numbers with numbers from like japan or asia and like Greece, some of the like Mediterranean diets mm-hmm. are like, ha- although carbs would probably j- be just as high. Well, that's I why imagine I like, quality would be quite different, which would impact calorie intake. Yeah. I think the, like, I always like looking at, um, looking at the, like the Asian countries when people get on the carbohydrate. Are yeah. Bad yeah. Because the, like, when you look at a country like Japan and I know there's some, like, there are some genetic components that do, uh, impact the like our ability to absorb and process carbohydrates but like the japanese um and like thailand chinese like their carb consumption is through the roof but their fat consumption is extremely low yeah um so when you look at um food consumption by like per country so this is a really interesting chart so it, it ranks the average daily dietary consumption per capita um, in kcals per country. So no surprise. What do you think the number one is? U.S. The U.S. is number one. And this chart has estimated daily energy consumption per capita at 3,800 calories oh, per day. Um, interesting. Have you ever eaten that much food in one day? I probably have actually, but it, I was probably a, like 15 or 16 years old. I don't think I've ever and done swimming, that. So. I don't know though. Maybe I haven't. I, I, I don't recall. Lot. But I guess it's not that much food if somebody eats out three times in a day and is drinking Coke and eating oh, chips. Oh, for sure. It's all con- it's not that hard to do. Um, number two, surprisingly, is Austria. That one is hmm. a surprise. Uh, it's all the schnitzel. It, yeah. Um, Germany is also one one place above Canada. So Germany is in number 10. Canada is in number 11. France is number 12. So when you look at... Um, so 3,800 per day in the U S you have to scroll all the way down to 81. That's Japan. And their average intake is 2,800 per day. So 1000 calories less, uh, per day than the Where's average Greece? America. Greece is actually up on the lead on the list. That's Greece is number three. Wow. 37, really? 10. Yeah. Oh, but the thing about it, they're, their fat intake is quite high, right. but you have all to the remember olives, like the, the olive oil. Yeah. In each of these. So Japan and Greece specifically are home to Greek salad, two of the yeah. Greek salad. will get you that feta cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
got to wash the salads. So Japan and Greece are both both home to one of the five blue zones. Yeah. Okay. That's world. maybe why I so thought. So blue zone, if you're unfamiliar, is uh, a geographical region, region that has high numbers of, um, how do you say it, centenarians, people over 100 years old. And so they have identified certain patterns that exist in these blue zones that specifically are around um, diet and lifestyle, but also social and community factors. So um, typically they're in tight knit communities. Um, they get a lot of exercise and movement during the day. Uh, their like diet follows kind of a specific pattern with specific foods. But then also within those blue zones, they notice that people typically are consuming um, I, within a, a calorie deficit. So there is a component of calorie, calorie restriction either via um, like the types of foods that they're eating combined with their activity or also sometimes in some of the, the blue zones, they do practice uh, forms of fasting. So um, even though the, the numbers in a place like Greece might be quite skew, skewed, and you have to remember Greece is a big tourist area too. And so a lot of, mm. you know, intake is always going to be higher in yeah. um, places like that. But there are these blue zones. So I think like Greece has one, Japan, I think Okinawa is one. There's one in um, Costa Rica. There's one, the um, um, Seventh Day, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that group. That They're in California. And then the fourth one is in, or the fifth one is in Italy. So it's California, Italy, Greece, Japan, Costa Rica. Those are the five. I have a, a couple follow-up questions. Where's Mexico on that list? Um, Mexico is number 30. Hmm. So that's 3260. Um, then there's a few, like Brazil is down in 42. Sweden, no surprise, 44. I found food very hard to come by in Sweden. Yes, very expensive. Um, Denmark is Small number portions. 23, which mm -hmm. is higher than I thought Denmark mm -hmm. would be. Uh, let's see. As you get further down the list, like unsurprisingly, you see a lot of um, Middle East and African countries sort of further down the list where food scarcity is a bit more of uh, a concern. So at the bottom, um, yeah, I mean, you have Haiti, yeah. 1850, Ethiopia, 1950. I bet you that this is, is very closely correlated with uh economies and like obviously like first world versus third world oh yeah you could probably chart income per capita yeah. like gdp and it, would be, it very, would be very close um my next question is within the u.s do you think there's a big discrepancy in calorie intake oh like south versus west versus um, northern like that sort of thing because you think about texas and like those types of of states and this might meet me just being stereotypical but like you think about the food down there and i've heard from my clients like you know there's more fast food the fast food is different there are fewer like vegetables yeah um it seems as though whenever i am down there it just might be what i'm looking for like confirmation bias huh. more obese people than in some of the western states yeah i mean i think that obviously when people think about really fattening food, you kind of think of like Southern, Southern shrimp foods. and grits. Yeah. Um, biscuits and gravy. Yeah. Fried things. Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fried foods in the South. Um, but then, you know, up in like there are areas in the North where there's a lot of Italian food and pizza and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, yeah. so Chicago deep dish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Calmari. Calmari. I do think like in any country, like I said, even with the blue zones, there's going to be, there's going to be differences in, um, dietary patterns, like regional, especially in a country that's as large as the U S. So yeah, it's interesting. I like looking at this stuff. I can tell you, um, yeah, I mean, you look at, if you looked at obesity patterns, I wonder if that information is out there, like obesity patterns um, by state, because that would kind of answer that question. Mm-hmm. So if you look at adult obesity rates um, by state, yeah, so <clears throat> percent of obese adults, body mass index of 30 plus, and I know body mass index is like not the best metric, but um, it is, I think, reflective of general diet patterns. So, yeah, I mean, you can you can see this. If you look at the map of the U.S., obesity rates, 35 plus, 35% plus. A lot of, of purple the, down south. Yeah, but it's interesting because it goes up through. Um, so I know you're not a U.S. person. This is the Bible Belt, and it runs down from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. So that's just kind of like no surprise there. And then South Carolina, Surprisingly, Georgia is not that high. It's not above 35 anyways. It's right there with North Carolina. What's the bright yellow one? The bright yellow one's Colorado. And that's not a surprise because... Um, yeah, it's like the, the lighter colors are lower obesity rates. And then the darker colors, the purples, yeah. are... So most of the U.S. is um, 30% or above the population... Um, you know, obesity within the population. Colorado is the lowest. That's 20 to 25. And then the Pacific Northwest states, with the exception of Idaho, um, you know, Utah, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, Montana, 25 to 30%. California, also relatively high. Florida, not above 30%. So that's that's interesting. And then, yeah, Massachusetts is also low. So it's, it's less than 25%. So the only states in the U.S. that are less than 25% obesity are massachusetts colorado and then uh hawaii hmm. yeah so Hawaii's pretty low yeah 24 i guess it also says dc dc is not on the map but okay um, dc is also not a state it's a region but yeah it's interesting so anyways that was a bit of a tangent on i guess obesity and diet patterns but the reason why so when you look at um, like protein intake and what that does for calorie intake. If you consider um, like the, the breakdown of macronutrients as a pie chart with 35% of that coming from fat, it means that the, the margin for error when fat increases or decreases, even by a small volume, that's going to have a massive in- impact on calories because fat is over double the calories per gram of carbohydrates and protein. Now, if you replace fat in the diet with lean protein, or even fiber-containing carbohydrates, but we'll focus on lean protein. So if you shift that protein intake from 25% to, or sorry, from 15% to 25%, and then the fat intake drops down by 10% to 25%, from 35 to 25. Now the impact of, of overeating by volume, if you stick to that macronutrient ratio, um, if you overeat by volume on the entire macronutrient breakdown, the relative increase in calories is going to be smaller. It's like, to picture this, a thimble's worth of olive oil is like 45 calories, yeah. 40 calories. A thimble's worth of chicken, so if you don't weigh your chicken or you just grab a chicken off the plate, and you're like, and you're off by 
a few thimbles, it's maybe 10 calories. I love that. Five calories. Thimble is the. I was thinking, I was just thinking a thumb, like I was thinking a thumb size. Oh yeah. Okay. A thumb size, which is about the size of a thimble. Thimble. Yeah. And the thimble is a great word. (laughs) (laughs) Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Um, so yeah, that's just what Meredith just said, but explained in, um, different Yeah. Way. I mean, it's easy to conceptualize if you were to sit down at a table. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And oil is, you just, you can't see oil. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's usually a lot of, at least the, the types that you really should be eating. It's going to be liquid at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's easy. It makes its way into foods. You don't often see it. But even if you think about a fat that's very common and solid, it's a solid at room temperature, which would be like a butter, for example, you put that on a piece of toast. Like, do you think that's going to do anything at all for your satiety? No. In fact, it probably makes the toast easier to eat. Whereas you eat a piece of dry toast or, you know, a piece of toast with, uh, you know, a few slices of chicken. That's going to be incredibly filling. And you can probably get just as many calories from toast and chicken as you could from like butter yeah. by itself. And you and you add a sal- side salad to that. Yeah. Or a side serving of vegetables. And that's like a whole cup of food going into your belly that's like 30 calories. Yes. Yeah. So the like the impact of a high a diet high in lean protein, if it does nothing else for you, it controls uh it controls hunger and it controls eating. So let's say somebody, and we've discussed this, but I think the going recommendation and what we are aligned with is 0.7.8 to 1.11.2 grams of protein per pound of lean body weight or goal body weight. Yeah. Goal body, if you're trying, yeah, if you're trying to lose weight, it's like goal body weight slash like lean. And then the for somebody who's healthy, I usually go by body mass in pounds yep. times one or 0.7 to 1.1. So if I set somebody's, let's just take somebody who's 140 pounds and I set their protein to 140. The difference between lean protein and non-lean protein, fatty protein, is can have an extreme impact on the number of calories that you're in in intaking which i meant i'm consuming yeah so like a chicken breast versus a a four ounce chicken breast versus a four ounce hamburger made of um pork and beef yeah the calories probably triple for the same amount of actual protein yeah so that is why we're proponents of lean protein sources yeah and it's i mean there are lots of lean protein sources out there um, there's lots of types of white fish, obviously chicken, pork can be quite lean if you're getting the right cut. Um, egg whites are lean. Most, uh, plant-based proteins are quite lean, although they do contribute to carbohydrate count. Um, dairy, dairy can be lean. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely doable. And then if you, if you shift towards those kind of like medium fat proteins, so your ground beef, most cuts of pork, uh, lamb, dark meat, poultry, um, fattier fish, that kind of thing. Those fit perfectly fine. You just have to keep an eye on, like you don't want that to be every single meal because now your fat is going to be back up, right? Um, so yeah, and again, like the the leaner the protein, the more, 
the harder it's going to be to eat, the more it's going to do for satiety and hunger signaling. Yeah. It's interesting because I think when someone says lean protein, first thing that comes to mind or like protein, like high protein meal, I think chicken breast. I think that probably a lot of people think steak. Oh yeah. And then, and I've had this happen with clients where they enter steak and they go into my fitness pal and they go T-bone steak or any sort of steak really. And they, they figure out that what to get 20 grams of protein out of a lot of the cuts of steak, you're consuming equal that num- um, amount of fat, if not more. Yeah. So it's like one to one. Yeah. Whereas chicken's like 20 to one. Chicken breast. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken breast. Yeah. It's, yeah. But steak is, is considered this like, you know, get your iron, get your protein. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is, uh, you know, that statistic came out a long time ago about the the correlation between red meat intake and um, heart health and heart disease. And they correlated red meat intake to heart disease a long time ago. Um, the, the problem with that is like, you know, do you want to be eating red meat every day? Probably not. There's nothing specifically wrong with the type of protein that's in red meat. There's nothing wrong with heme iron, like... A lot of the the things that the Game Changers folks I said in that documentary, that's not really a concern. The fat intake, mm, kind of a concern. What people eat, what people eat red meat with, huge concern. So you're getting a lot of, like when you look at it again, like um, when you're getting red meat from say a fast food place, uh, steak place, stuff like that, you're eating it with, you know, french fries, mayonnaise steak is often drink. cooked in butter yeah if you're getting at a nice restaurant now you're eating it with added fat to it you're having it with a baked potato with sour cream and bacon bits and you know asparagus that's been drenched in butter so it's not it's not it necessarily a problem with the red meat itself it's a problem with the dietary pattern and the reason why uh we know that i mean i think that it's easy to discern that if you understand how to like okay they're not controlling for these other factors a lot of confounding variables yeah so the confounding variables are there and they're obvious but again if you look back at the um the dietary like the uh the protein consumption over time remember beef has been dropping what's been coming up chicken so now chicken is the most common um the most common protein. Whereas in 1970, chicken was behind pork. It was beef, pork, chicken. And now it's chicken, beef, pork. But the problem, the obesity problem in the health crisis has not gone away. And it's been over 40 years since that shift started to occur. Stop. Cows are people too. So, okay. (laughs) Well, all that's saying is like the actual dietary pattern hasn't changed. The proteins just flipped. Mm -hmm. And so all of the things that actually make a difference, all of those confounding variables, those are still there. We've just put chicken in place of beef and in place of pork. So now instead of having a a burger with French fries, you're having a fried chicken sandwich with with French fries. So like just looking at the the specifics of protein and that, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface on the impact of industrial farming and how much easier it is to farm chicken than it is beef and like, you know, environmentally costly and this and that. But what it's showing you is that the, the underlying dietary pattern has gone unchanged. And that's why like the obesity problem in the health crisis has consi- like continued to balloon, at least in the U.S., but also in Canada, which is close behind as far as um, health concerns go. So it's not again, it's not necessarily the like the, the type of protein itself that that uh, that correlates to poor health outcomes. So let's talk about protein and aging. Yeah. And, and 
why and why a high protein diet from a physiological standpoint is important. Okay. I guess those, there are two topics. So let's start with why it's important from a physiological standpoint at really any age. Yeah. Um, so protein, uh, the reason why protein is important for, and we'll back up for a second. The reason why it gets so much attention in the athletic space is that without, um, adequate amounts of protein, you just won't synthesize muscle tissue, um, to the same extent. Like you, it's, it's impossible to build muscle, muscle tissue unless you're taking in protein. And we, like Alex said, you know, we think that that number is around one gram per pound body weight for most people. That's a good kind of, um, general recommendation when you actually look at protein intake what we're what you can break that down even further is you're looking at leucine intake so leucine of all the amino acids leucine is the one that uh, signals most strongly to synthesize muscle tissue so um the like the general recommendation of like grams of leucine per meal and this is this is the same it seems to be the same no matter body size. So you might think that a really big person needs more leucine than a really small person, but actually they, when you control for body size, the recommendation for leucine is sort of the same um, with, you know, as long as you throw out the outliers of like really big people and really small people. Uh, the number is generally considered to be two grams of leucine per meal. Um, it's actually more like 1.7 grams for leucine per meal to, to stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis to a significant degree. Um, and that's, that's lower in kids. And so when you, and again, this kind of goes to those four distinct metabolic states that we posted about the other day, but when you're a kid, you're just, your calorie needs are really high. Your, your body, like because of your hormonal status and the growth, you're going to like kids synthesize muscle, even if protein intake isn't super high. And that's generally why the recommendation for kids, even up to age 20 is an extremely high carbohydrate intake and then a relatively low protein and fat intake. So you don't actually need protein to be all that high, but once you hit 20, um, that number is around 1.7 grams of leucine per meal, which is depending on the type of protein that you're eating, that, that means a meal should contain at least 25 to 30 grams of protein to hit that number. And so that's kind of where that recommendation comes from. Um, as you get older, uh, you become a little bit more resistant to muscle protein synthesis. So your body's just less inclined to do it. So in order to continue to build or even to maintain and prevent, uh, like sarcopenia from happening, you have to, you have to provide a stronger stimulus, both from a training perspective, which means you have to continue to resistance train, um, and also a protein intake standpoint. So we see that the number go up for grams of leucine, uh, from 1.7 grams of leucine to 2.8. So almost it's a one gram, uh, increase per meal. And so that's, that's really significant. And that's, that is to match the muscle protein synthesis rate that's observed in younger individuals. Now, when we say we, we don't want the bar to be that high, we don't want, we don't, we don't expect that a 65 year old person is synthesizing muscle at the same rate as a 25 year old person. That's kind of an unreasonable standard to set. And so you say, okay, let's bump that number down because 2.8 per meal is really hard to get. Um, now you're, cause you're looking at, you know, 40, maybe even 50 grams of protein per meal. That's a ton of protein. So let's lower the bar a little bit and just call it maybe 2.3 grams of protein per meal. So now we're looking at 35 grams of protein per meal. So when we see within older people, we move that target maybe from 0.8 to one gram per pound body weight up to one gram to 1.2 grams 
of protein per pound body weight per day distributed evenly across meals. And that's going to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, maybe not to the level of, you know, someone who's 25 in strength training, but higher than like certainly higher than the average would be at that age. And so that's going to be enough to at a minimum uh, maintain lean muscle mass that is already on the bottle on the body, like skeletal lean muscle mass, um, a little bit longer than if you were to just not. And we see protein intake patterns drop off in a major way after age 55, 60. Like it just, it's, it's down in like 50 grams per day, Yeah, which is super low. I remember when my mom started tracking macros a few years ago, she went from basically 80 grams of protein a day and doubled that. She's about 140 pounds. I don't think she'll mind me sharing that. And she eats over 160 grams of protein a day now. Uh And it's a, it's a concerted effort to get that protein in, but she does it almost every day because she sees like she sees the value in it. Like she, you know, she trains hard, but she also, um, has been maintaining her muscle mass. And like, she always jokes about like her hair (laughs) being super thick and like her skin being, you know, healthier and that sort of thing. And, you know, people are, you know, I do have a couple follow-up questions on that, but people are taking like collagen supplements and stuff, Mm -hmm. but they're not eating protein. And it's like, just eat meat, eat meat off the bone. Like yeah, you're wasting your money and you could get so much more if you just ate more protein. Yeah. Um, my question is, well, for the audience, um, do you, is there specific protein sources that have more leucine in it or is it general protein? So if someone's trying to improve, is there specific proteins sources that you would recommend? Um, yeah. So like whey protein is kind of the highest in leucine. So that's going to be the, the whey component of milk. So if and you're someone more bioavailable as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're someone who can tolerate dairy, that's a really like either drinking milk or, you know, consuming a whey protein isolate and like protein powder is a really, and also like makes it easier to get in protein for the day. Um, but for the most part, uh, any well-rounded protein is going to have, um, significant levels of leucine. So most animal proteins, you're going to check that box. You're going to get plenty of leucine eating those. If you're eating plant-based protein, um, you just want to make sure that you're, you're mixing it up. So you're not eating only pea protein or only rice protein, uh, or only lentils or only soy, although soy is actually relatively high, like of all of the plant-based proteins, soy is kind of the most well-rounded. And even though it gets a bad rap from a hormonal standpoint, you have to eat so much soy for it to start having a negative impact on, um, hormonal profiles. And then for women, it's actually has a positive, uh, effect on hormonal profiles with the, um, with, with, uh, estrogen and phytoestrogen. So, um, if you're a, a meat eater, you don't really have to worry about it, especially if you're meat and dairy. If you are plant-based, it's just kind of more important that you're um, using a variety of uh, sources for a protein. So vegetable, grains, uh, legumes. If you're, if you're uh, consuming a high variety, you'll probably be okay. But, um, you know, with plant-based, even beyond what we would increase for like meat eaters – we, we tend to bump that target up even more to make sure that we're, so maybe a, a plant-based eater, generally we would recommend 1.2. A plant-based eater who's over the age of 60, we're probably looking at recommending uh, 1.5 grams. Yeah, and that, that, adds a, that adds an element. It, it does, it is more difficult to balance macros if you're also trying to control for calories because um, vegans, plant-based diets tend to be very high in carb. Yeah. And then also sometimes fat just because 
um, you know, there's like dressing and stuff like that to like flavor the foods. Yeah. So it's, it can be difficult to eat that much protein, but keep everything else within range. Yeah. Um, but we do work with a few vegans. I work with a, a younger vegan athlete and she does a great job of balancing everything. And one of the things too, is she was really worried about soy. Yeah. And so helping her understand that it wasn't an issue, like the amount of soy you actually need to eat for it to have a negative impact is, is enormous. Um, I do have two follow-up questions. Okay. BCAs. BCAAs. Yeah, like you're talking about leucine. Okay. Why why can't we just have more BCAs and that will help? Okay, yeah. So BCAAs are branched chain amino acids and they're like considered the most limited in the diet. And they are. Um the thing with BCAAs is is all of the research um that's out there that uh correlates BCAA intake. So BCAAs also are available as standalone supplements. Um, yeah, that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, um, it's not a complete protein because those, those amino acids have been pulled out of, um, out of, they've been synthesized and pulled, pulled out of context. So now you're only getting four, uh, of the 20. So <clears throat> most of the research that shows a positive correlation between BCAA intake and say athletic performance or muscle protein synthesis, like lean body mass, um, is being consumed. So it's comparing it to a diet where protein intakes are not being met as a baseline. So you have someone not meeting protein intake and then they start consuming BCAAs. So yeah, that's going to have a positive in, that's going to have a positive impact. When you compare BCAA intake, uh, to let's say a whey protein or someone who is consuming, like if you control for protein intake and calorie intake and training and all the things that need to be controlled when you're evaluating this, uh, most of the research uh, like shows no positive benefit at all. Yeah, I saw a meme the other day. It was a guy in a a pool pouring water on his head. Yeah. And it was like the pool, the water was like protein. And then pouring water on his head was like BCAs. It's like, it's pointless. It's a waste of money. And like while they there have been studies that show there can be positive benefits on um, like reducing muscle breakdown and repairing muscle, it, it is not when you're consuming enough protein, it's not going to make a huge difference, if yeah. any at all. Um, and the interesting thing about um, BCAAs, like especially like from a, a supplement standpoint, is they might. So there's also this body of evidence that says it might help prevent fatigue mm-hmm. in training, and that's the way that they're a lot. They're used as a, a pre and like an intra workout. Yeah, and it's meant to offset the fatigue that you experience during training, and that does seem to be an effect that BCAAs have. Um, the downside to that effect and the reason why that happens is that BCAAs compete for absorption in the brain with tryptophan. And so this is a really interesting bit of research and it's kind of why I have, and a lot of people have really walked back their stance on BCAAs in the past few years, even from a fatigue mitigation standpoint, because the like, so tryptophan is a, a major and very important precursor to serotonin. So serotonin is the uh, the hormone in the brain that kind of stimulates good mood, happiness. It's not dopamine, like it's not as immediate as dopamine. It's a bit of a slower uh, process, but there are, there are specific, like when someone has serotonin, a serotonin disorder, like when they have an issue with serotonin in the brain, that's usually where you see uh, mood disorders start to occur, um, anxiety, sleeplessness, that kind of thing. Those are all issues with serotonin. 
Um, and then serotonin specifically is a precursor and very important to the production of melatonin. So melatonin is... Yeah, it works in concert with your circadian rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Which is also why like sun, sunlight is really important to yes. be getting in the daytime. Yeah, so melatonin is super important for... Um, for feeling like yeah i'm ready to go to sleep when the sun goes down sleeping well when you do sleep not waking up that kind of thing so we've seen that and researchers have seen that people who supplement with bcas too often um you're starting to inhibit the action of tryptophan in the brain chronically like uh day to day so now you're not producing the proper levels of serotonin serotonin's not facilitating the production of melatonin as it should be and so now you have sleep disruption and mood disorders occurring as a result of bcaa supplementation now let me ask you a question um for a friend okay if you were somebody who used to drink a lot of bcas like <laughs> couple servings <laughs> two, couple a servings a day kind of throughout the day to increase water intake and you were just this ruthless bitch <laughs> And then you stopped taking in so many BCAs, <laughs> replaced it with other things like pure water and noon. Um, are there after effects? So like if this, if this person, this friend of a friend, um, wasn't noticing any improvements in mood, is it, does, Do you, is there a delay? Is are like, you asking if there's there a carryover? <laughs> a carryover of like one to two years. Yes. And sh should that person expect their mood to improve <laughs> after a period of two to three years? Uh, or could it maybe not be the BCAs? And I, this person is just a, like a horrible, sour bitch all the time. <laughs> that's a phenomenal question. I don't think that it's been elucidated in the research. Okay, I'll let that person know. Um, I think that it would be difficult to assess that without controlling uh, numerous other variables. Like who they live with the amount of stress they experience yeah. on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah. If their if their partner cleans up That's, after themselves. All of these things are super important. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. I'll let them know. Yeah, do that. Um okay, I do have one more question. And I I you're doing such a great job of explaining. Um and this is a good one, I think. It's been touched on. But there's a lot of um talk about post workout specifically yeah. protein intake um and now carbs like i think at least from us people are starting to understand the value of carbohydrate intake post-workout um especially if you're an elite athlete and you're working out twice a day but my question is is protein actually that important to take within the window of gains which is like the 15 to 30 minute post-workout um and or is it more the overall protein intake that a person is consuming in a day. And I know that this may be complicated depending <laughs> on the person, but like for the general population, yeah, I, I, I'll answer this question as a start and then you can elaborate. Like, I think there's so much emphasis on eating, pr having protein after a workout when like what that's really doing is just increasing overall protein intake. It's not necessarily that they're taking it right after their workout yeah. and they should be focusing more on taking in the, appropriate amount of protein in a day rather than nutrient timing yeah a, a post-workout protein intake is not going to have a more positive effect than routine and consistent protein intake that meets protein needs based on the person and their goals so again a lot of the research has highlighted the value and the effectiveness of post-workout protein when what what that's actually doing is just increasing the person's daily protein intake so 
um, you know, they, they would probably experience similarly positive results with a protein intake that was just, you know, a little bit higher. And that's all the, the, sh- the shake is doing. Um, there is some value. So if, um, uh, you know, a person is very dialed in and doing, you know, they have their, their number one, their calories are, are under, under control, well-established and well-controlled. Um, they're doing a good job hitting, um, macronutrients within a specific range, specifically protein intake. This is our, we're talking now our period, a uh, hierarchy of nutrition. So like the pyramid. So on the bottom is calorie intake. Um, above that, we usually put, uh, macronutrients so quantity of macronutrients so getting in enough protein yeah eating the right amount of carbs to fat above above that for most people isn't timing at least in my opinion above that is quality so i don't really if someone's not eating uh high quality foods for the most part but they're very concerned with timing i'm gonna have that person focus on quality before timing usually um the asterisk and caveat is if the person's a very high level athlete and they have to sacrifice food quality yeah. to get in the calories. And so we've that, talked about that before. Yeah, that has to happen. Um, once those two things are, um, or three things are well established and part of a person's routine, as in like they can do this and they've been doing this for many months, um, then maybe we look at post-workout protein. And the only, so again, like a post-workout protein shake is not going to do anything magical, especially if you're doing, uh, standalone strength training or cardio training, like very like traditional types of training. But there's a really interesting piece of research. And I wrote about this, um, just about to ask about this a few months ago, recommended dosing. Yeah. Um, for, to stimulate muscle protein synthesis above and beyond what's normal after So after a workout, you're going to be, you're kind of just like going to be stimulating muscle. That's going to happen no matter if you have protein immediately after or not. Like in theory, you have uh, higher serum levels of amino acids if you're consuming protein regularly throughout the day. So your body's just going to use what you already have. Um, you don't really need to go above and beyond that. But if you, if you train, so this research was done, if you train a whole body workout, so you, you're not doing just legs, you're not doing just arms, you're not doing just cardio. So most, so this would be like CrossFit. Similar, yeah. yeah. So it's either CrossFit or, or, or uh, hypertrophy programs that are designed to, uh, to stimulate m- more than one body part at the, in the same training session, so upper and lower body, whole body. If you take in... What about mid-body? Mid-body. Well, mid-body, I think, goes, that's involved all the time. Yeah. Uh, so if, if a person then takes in, um, (laughs) they compared the muscle protein synthesis rates following a whole body, uh, bout of exercise, they compared, uh, MPS after, uh, ingesting 20 grams of whey protein, which is approximately one scoop. That's a normal serving. Yeah. So they compared that to 40 grams. So two scoops, two scoops, (laughs) one scoop to two scoops. And they saw a marked increase in rates of muscle protein synthesis following, uh, the 40 gram in like a uh, dose of protein specifically after whole body exercise, you don't see the same rates increase after single, uh, single muscle groups. Um, and you don't see the same rates, rates increase after cardiovascular sessions, but you do see it increase whole body rates of muscle protein synthesis increase after whole body trainings with, uh, or training sessions with a higher dose of whey protein. 
Um, so that's kind of the, that's where the research is there again. Is that going to make or break someone's training and their performance? No, it's not, but it is, it's like one of those like small little dials that you can turn. If everything else is really dialed in and you're like, well, we haven't tried this and this person trains CrossFit or they train, um, you know, multiple, multiple body parts in one day. And they're really trying to push the limit on what they can attain physically. Yeah. Then that's a, that's something like, that's a switch that you can flip, but is that going to do anything for you? If you're not meeting daily protein needs, absolutely not. Because it's not going to, your, your serum amino acids are not going to be where they need to, to facilitate muscle protein synthesis across the day. So you're better off just, just eating more protein, uh, more frequently meeting your protein needs and not worrying so much about protein after a workout. I, um, I used to laugh at my mom. Like I started getting really into nutrition and then I would tell her like, Oh, you, you're not eating enough protein or even my dad you guys aren't eating enough protein. And my mom would say, yeah, I'm eating like, you know, breakfast, I'm, I'm having peanut butter. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> not, that has not, it does have protein in it, but again, very small um, amounts. And then my dad actually thought that there were protein in grapes or there w- was protein in grapes. So I think this podcast hopefully will help some people. Yeah. I feel like you were really on fire today. Thank you. I, you I were feel just like, you're, are you a morning person? I am a morning person. And, uh, yeah, I definitely took some Adderall before this. <laughs> you're, you're anything but a midday person. You I hit not, the hard midday slump. I am, I am my best first thing in the morning. And then like, I am my most creative after about 7 PM at night. Yeah. Yeah. The midday is not. Don't my try to catch day. Meredith at 2 PM. Don't 3 PM. Do not. She is on the verge of falling asleep. Yes. That is not me at my best. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't have any other questions. I feel like we covered everything. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the main thing with protein again, and like this is if, if we can give you or anyone, if you want to pass this along, like any piece of advice, um, if you're trying to make progress with, uh, weight loss or with, uh, performance in the gym, or just you've never dabbled with nutrition before in like a very specific way, but you also don't want to go full macro tracking. Like legitimately, the best two numbers to focus on are uh, protein and fiber. So this is kind of where I've landed with my general recommendation for people is if you set your protein at one gram per pound, either body weight or goal body weight, and then uh, target a fiber number of between 25 and 35 grams, that's going to be a phenomenal place to start for 90% of the population. And it's really easy to do. Yep. Um, and then once you, you know, once you do that, you can start to add in a bit more nuance and targets elsewhere, but that's, that's a good start that is going to really facilitate, um, yeah, lean body, body mass retention or gains, and then also, um, help regulate, hunger because fiber is super filling lean protein is really filling and if you're not sure again what lean protein actually is really it's a good idea to do some research on that because a lot of people again who think that they're eating lean protein are actually eating like steak medium fat to high fat protein and we just did a post on that too Mm -hmm. um do you want to end off on a few tips for getting in lean protein for like maybe meal prep like we're not huge we don't do a ton of meal prep because we work from home we do some, but we're not like prepping five to 10 meals to take to work every day. Yeah. But there are def, I have done that. There are definitely ways to, to kind of make easy protein intake easier, um, whether you're eating at home or you're at work. I think the big one is finding a good protein source you like to have at breakfast. Yes. 
So for you, you usually go with eggs, egg whites, and cottage cheese. Yes. And that's what, like 30 to 40 grams of protein? I probably? think it ends up being, yeah, with the bread, I think it ends up being 38 grams yeah. of protein. Um, some people just prefer more convenience. So I, I often recommend egg cups or uh, egg, um, hard boiled eggs can be a good one. Yep. Still a little bit on the lower side, but it is a protein source. And then um, overnight oats with protein powder can be really awesome. And you grab and go. Yeah. Um, I barbecue a batch of like nine Spolumbo's chicken sausages at the beginning of each week. And then we have that for dinner. And then there's like seven or six left for the entire week. I have one of those each morning and they've got like 30 grams of protein. And then I have that with oatmeal, which has like 10. So I will say too, if you're an egg eater and you're going to be doing, so the hard boiled eggs are really good tip. And also it makes it easy. If you don't want to eat the fat that's in the yolk, you just ditch the yolk. But if you're doing egg whites, there's no reason to spend money on like really expensive free range, um, organic eggs because most of that is going into the egg yolk. And if you're not eating the egg yolk, then you're just wasting the money. So it's, I used to buy when I was doing a lot of egg whites, I would buy one carton of like uber high end eggs and then one thing of cheap eggs. And so I would use the cheap eggs for my egg whites and then the uber high end eggs. Yeah. Or you can buy the liquid egg whites from a carton. Yeah. Um, I've recently been, I know like, again, I'm not a big cook, but, um, our coach Jill always puts out recipes and she usually harps on the protein. So she'll do their like protein pancakes you can do where you're incorporating whey protein or using like Kodiak cakes, which have whey in them. Yeah. Um, I've recently been using a protein pudding recipe by Jill, which is just like a, a package of the, the instant pudding with protein powder and the fair life 0% milk. And that alone has a ton of protein in it, that milk. So it ends up coming up to like 30 plus grams of protein per serving of pudding. And I put some fruit on there and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like keeping big batches of, or big batches of like frozen meat uncooked in your freezer can be super easy because you can be on like a Sunday night and it's like, shoot, I don't have meal prep for this week. And honestly, because meat is the most inconvenient of all the macros, um, it's really easy to just be like, I'm going to throw 10 chicken breasts or 10 chicken thighs on the barbecue or throw them in the oven with some shake and bake or everything bagel seasoning and have enough protein to get you through the week. Yep. So like big batches of that can be really helpful. Um, And yeah, like keeping, just keep it really simple. Like, recipes tend to have low protein like lower protein Mm -hmm. so we usually like to stick to the rule of three so like one protein source like as as sad as it is it's like a chicken breast or you know some pork tenderloin or some ground beef or a piece of salmon or cod or something like that with you know rice or potatoes or something on the side and then like a big half plate serving of vegetables yeah and if you like i mean greek yogurt too skier that's also really good if you if you, uh, you know, you have a job where you're traveling, um, you don't have a refrigerator, like invest in a, a cooler. And I mean like a Yeti, like something that you can throw in refrigerated foods with an ice pack and you know, it's going to be fine. There's nothing wrong with traveling around with that. You can keep it in your car. You can take like Yeti makes those little lunch boxes. Now you can take into the office. Like there's really no excuse not to have protein because there's it's, it's, um, 
it is relatively easy to cook as long as you have it on hand. Like the big thing is having more on hand than you think you need. Um, and then even the convenience items, the yogurt, um, you know, low fat cheese, deli meat, that kind of stuff. Like, yes, it has to be refrigerated, but just go get a cooler. Like, you know, that option is available. And if it's, if it's a priority to you, then, um, there, there are plenty of ways to do it. Um, when you don't make it a priority, that's when it becomes really difficult to hit protein. And that's when you're stuck eating like beef jerky and protein bars and stuff from gas stations. That isn't necessarily what you want to be going for. Yeah. I have one quick story to end on to, to just hit home on the protein. Um, it's an anecdotal piece, but I, in 2000 and I was always, I'm, I've always been pretty lean, not a huge eater. And then I started, I stopped running to focus on CrossFit and wasn't tracking macros or anything. And growing up, I was always really low protein, really low fat and extremely high carb. And as I started getting into more CrossFit, even though I was getting this like major stimulus, I wasn't really gaining, um, I was gaining some muscle, but I was also just gaining like some, some fluff, which wasn't something that I was necessarily used to. And I was, it started impacting my gymnastics. So then I, um, hired a nutrition coach and started tracking macros and realized number one, I was extremely low in protein. So getting that up, kind of like taking down some of the carbs and some of the fat, it was mostly carbs, but really just like, a uh, changing up my macro ratio and not even changing up my calories that much had a severe and positive impact on, I know severe sounds bad, but it was a really positive impact on my body composition, significant, significant positive impact. Mm. So, um, that's just that I, I, even for, you know, people who are training really hard or not training really hard, it, it can be a huge, a huge thing for overall health and, and the way that you look and feel. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, well, I know this one went long, so if you made it this far, thank you for listening. We had a a fun time doing it. This is a topic that we talk about a lot on our own and we research a lot. So there's a lot to say. There's a lot that, that we didn't say. So if you're interested in learning more about, um, some specific things that we mentioned or just protein intake in general or nutrition, just reach out to us. We're always happy to, to talk about it. So, um, if you liked this episode, if you found it was really helpful, which we hope it was, um, like it, share it, send it to your friends who you think don't eat enough protein, send it to your parents. Yeah. Parents. Tell them to skip over the first 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> if they don't want to listen to boob talk and, uh, yeah, we always appreciate that. It really means the world to us when we see our episodes get shared. So, um, yeah, we, we appreciate that a lot and, um, you know, we hope that you enjoy the shows. So anything else, Alex? No. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. And we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.